Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for November 11th, 2018. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Joey Haynes, Youth Coordinator at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, Risky Relationships. interesting text to preach from. Um, And being in seminary, one learns a lot about the Bible. A lot of things we learn, you know, we've maybe read these stories before, but we haven't really read the stories before. So in seminary, they really get to, really opens you up to a lot of different interpretations and understandings of texts. And I'm not sure if it is maybe my younger age or maybe my occasional immaturity, but these stories and themes that involve sex and sexuality seem to be sort of the most unexpected or shocking for me. Also, most interesting at times. Growing up, we did not focus too much attention or time on these stories. In fact, I don't really recall learning about any of these explicit narratives in the Bible, except for maybe Mary, who conceived a child as a virgin, and there was some explanation of that. With a dominant theme of redemption and insider-outsider dynamics, which I'll get to in a bit, the narrative of Ruth also tells a story of loyalty, courage, and risk, which leaves readers with a number of opportunities for creative interpretations in the short four chapters that make up this book. In the initial reading of today's text, it might just seem like a mild story of seduction that leads to a marriage and a child. However, there's a lot more going on in this text beyond just the words on the page. One commentator writes, In this chapter, the the narrator's penchant for puns develops into a mischievous use of words and phrases that may be understood to have either innocent or sexually suggestive meanings. In other places in Hebrew scripture, words and phrases like to know, to lie down, under his wing, uncover, and threshing floors are each used as sexual euphemisms. You all can Google that after the sermon. (laughs) Even the word feet, or margelot in Hebrew, comes from a root word commonly used in euphemisms. Feet does not always mean feet, but maybe another particular part of the male body. The commentator goes on to say that the clustering together of so many terms that have been, that have both innocent face value meanings and sexually suggestive connotations must be considered a deliberative narrative ploy. Misplaced prudery may tempt modern readers to cover up the suggestive nature of the text, but by doing so robs the story of an essential element of its meaning. So, for anyone that tells you that reading the Bible is boring, you might want to tell them to read a little more deeply. 
And I'll be honest that when I first read through this text and thought, how am I going to make this connection to our word, which is risk? I was quickly at a loss. And then, being in a rush to get a title in for the bulletin, I quickly decided risky relationships, which sort of makes that connection a little more difficult. I'm assuming most of you all are probably thinking the same thing. And just so you know, this sermon is actually not about sex. What I love about writing sermons is the actual study of Scripture. Honestly, I enjoy the hours of reading text and commentaries, working on translations, more than I do the actual presentation of a sermon. As one dives deeply into Scripture, the revelations can be quite remarkable. Reading commentaries, understanding the context in which the biblical authors are writing, as well as the audiences with whom the authors are speaking. And yes, even learning the significance of certain phrases, parables, and important items used in stories reveal scripture in new ways to the reader. And oftentimes, when we translate from the original Hebrew, in the case of Ruth, or from Greek in the New Testament, we lose much of the poetry, metaphors, and significant literary nuances. In Ruth, this is a very significant loss. There are two Hebrew words used in chapter 3. One of them, from today's text, gala, meaning uncover, reveal, or remove, as in when Ruth uncovered the feet of Boaz. And later on in chapter 3, we see the word ga'al. When translated as a verb, it can mean recover or redeem. So, Why is this important? By translating the text, we miss the important play on words which is woven into the dominant theme of Ruth, redemption. One commentary writes that by juxtaposing the similar sounding words gala and gaal, the narrator encourages the audience to consider ways in which uncovering can lead to recovering the redemption of what was lost. In addition to this theme of redemption, we also can't ignore the insider-outsider dynamics found in the narrative. Ruth is a Moabite woman. She's an outsider. Yet she plays a pivotal role in the story of the Hebrew people. Being the great-grandmother of King David, and in the New Testament Gospel of Matthew, She is one of four women named in the lineage of Jesus. So, what does this mean for us in the 21st century? As we think about this text beyond the innuendos, the sexual euphemisms, and creative wordplay, what would it look like for us to develop or build relationships across difference? I'm not just speaking about romantic relationships but ones in which we have the potential to uncover our own vulnerabilities in order to restore something that has been lost. If we were were to risk entering into a relationship across difference, could it be possible to restore humanity in those whom we have dehumanized 
And not just racial or ethnic difference, but across religious and secular boundaries, political opinions, or partisan walls. Imagine what we might uncover by building relationships with those who look, think, or believe differently than ourselves. As some of you might know, I spent the last seven days at the Parliament of the World's Religions in Toronto. In 1893, faith leaders from around the world recognized the need for more interreligious dialogue. At the time, Eastern and Western faith traditions excluded themselves from having deeper conversations and interactions with those outside of their own communities. So in September of 1893, these leaders came together in Chicago and it became the largest gathering of faith communities the world had seen. A hundred years passed before this parliament reconvened again in Chicago of 1993, and since then, they have gathered consistently in Cape Town, Barcelona, Melbourne, Salt Lake City, and then last week in Toronto. The first time that I learned about the parliament was in my Christian history class three years ago. Although we read excerpts from speakers and discussed the significance of this gathering, when I arrived, I had no idea what to expect. If I had to say one word to describe my experience, it would be overwhelming. I'm still trying to process the experience encounters. For the first couple of days, I honestly felt just like a lost puppy wandering around the convention center, wandering into rooms, out of rooms, listening to people, not really sure sometimes what they were actually talking about. I was surrounded by Muslims, Sikhs, Jews, atheists, pagans, Baha'is, and Christians from around the globe. There were Chinese philosophers, political leaders, theologians, writers, activists, and indigenous peoples represented from at least four different continents. Each afternoon, I had a free, longer lunch served by the Sikh community of Toronto. And for Sikhs, all people are equal. So during their longer lunches, everyone eats the same meal, which consists of some form of curry, rice, unleavened bread. We all sat on the floor with our hair covered as a sign of respect. It doesn't matter if you're a king or you're homeless, you're treated the same. During this week, I was able to sit and interact with priests, nuns, students, Hindu gurus, Buddhist monks, folks who are just interested in spirituality. People are fascinating. Reflecting with some of the younger participants, less than 5% of those at the parliament were actually below the age of 30. We wrestled with this notion that this conference at times seemed a little too kumbaya And although that might have been the case in some instances, others did not always stray away from controversial topics that plague our communities. Whether it was faith communities condemning governments of genocide and mass murder, Muslim imams creating spaces and turning their mosques into welcome and affirming communities for their LGBTQ neighbors, or speakers advocating that their religions must decolonize from the Eurocentric beliefs which have controlled vast populations for centuries. 
This conference created a space for people to not just come together, hold hands, and sing, which we did do a lot of that, but to also struggle with reconciliation. I was certainly reminded last week that being in relationship with others is just not easy. Reconciliation and, re- and redemption do not come with a big, without a big dose of humility and pain. On this continent, people have discriminated, oppressed, killed, and hurt one another using religion to justify heinous acts of violence. For the first two days of this conference, I took advantage of attending workshops and speakers from indigenous communities throughout North America. Hearing these stories of domination and genocide cut to the core of my heart. I learned about residential schools and orphanages in which white settlers would take children from indigenous tribes and put them in Christian-run schools to re-educate and assimilate them into the new culture. These schools were plagued with physical, mental, and sexual abuse. And oftentimes, these children then then would be placed in white families so, so that they could become civilized. Early governments outlawed indigenous traditions, practices, and languages in order to control the people. And in fact, these last, the last of these schools would not close until the 1970s and 80s in North America. It's not a long time ago. Hearing these stories, I really wrestle with my own whiteness and Christian tradition. Not so much in the form of unnecessary guilt or shame, but struggling with how I can use my own story to build relationships across difference and boundaries, which may uncover some tough realities. I certainly had to swallow my pride, but, being, but by being vulnerable and crossing these lines, I do believe that I was able to recover some small amount of humanity that had been lost. As in the case with Ruth, taking the risk to enter into relationships may not be easy to navigate, but it's necessary. As Christians, we're called to be in community, not just with those that are the same as us, but with those in which society has dehumanized, marginalized, and oppressed. What might we recover if Christians took the time to stand beside our Jewish brothers and sisters to grieve with them in times of tragedy? or to reach out to our Muslim neighbors with a simple note of love and acceptance? How might we respond to migrants if we just took the time to listen to those stories of those living in the immigrant community? If we seek to build a kingdom of God, not through conformity, but a kingdom that is inclusive and celebrates the uniqueness of each one of us, we might just experience redemption. My hope is that we have the courage to take risks, to build community, to nurture relationships, and to stand in solidarity with those whose humanity has been lost. May it be so.
We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.